What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. My name is Brett McGrath. I'm your host. I collect sports cards, and I have a podcast about collecting sports cards, and that's why you're here. I would imagine you collect sports cards, too. I want to first and foremost thank our unofficial sponsor today, and that would be McDonald's. We are bringing the heat here. One of the biggest brands in the world has decided to unofficially sponsor the Stacking Slabs podcast, and we are thrilled. Their kindness, generosity, and pride that they have is something that we gravitate to on the Stacking Slabs podcast. We're big Ronald McDonald House people over here supporting good causes. And what we're here to promote today is the Happy Meal. Um, We all had them when we were growing up, and now we have kids, and we're buying them for our kids. Not a lot has changed over the years. There's still the cheeseburger option with um, you get the ketchup and the pickles, and you probably hold the onions. Maybe you keep them on. Um, We hold the onions over here. Um, You got the fries, the apple, the toy, all the things, and the nuggets, you know, the honey, the barbecue, the hot mustard, all those things. So we buy the Happy Meal every Thursday almost here at the Stacking Slabs HQ. I'm tired of cooking and going to and from picking up my daughter at school. So usually on Thursdays, there's no cooking over here. We're stopping in at McDonald's and getting ourselves a Happy Meal. So shout out to the fine people. Ray Kroc, I salute you um, and what you've done and the brand that you've built and developed. So McDonald's, if you're looking for um, a segment to go double down on, I know the sports card collector who listens to the Stacking Slabs podcast loves McDonald's. So thank you. Really appreciate the time. It was a sad week in professional wrestling. I am still trying to kind of wrap my head around it. We lost legend Terry Funk first. And Terry Funk was, a lot of people have said their favorite or greatest wrestler of all time. He had like several careers in one spanning back to NWA days and then WCW, and then he was a part of the Attitude Era. A couple of Funker stories for me. Um, So I was actually at the Monday Night Raw uh, going into WrestleMania 14 build when the New Age Outlaws dumped Old Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, and Terry Funk off of the Titantron in the dumpster. I was in the building that happened in Indianapolis um, they showed it a hundred times on the Titantron during that, and I'll never forget it. And the other moment was probably 2000. Terry Funk was wrestling at an independent show, very small independent show in Indianapolis at Cecina Memorial High School, where my dad was an alma mater. And I'll never forget walking up to his table, and he was. Terry Funk spoke very softly, and I remember getting really close to the table and just having a quick chat with him. His hands were taped up, and I bought a Funk U shirt um, and just remembered his performance that day was like he was wrestling in Madison Square Garden. There's so much. I have been kind of going back to the archive. I think probably my fondest memory is the barely legal 97 pay-per-view ECW, where he really gave that entire organization uh, the rub by being on the show, 
wrestling two matches on the show. So I'm uh, definitely saddened by the loss of Terry Funk. Um, I would say from a card perspective, if you poll the audience people and they think about Terry Funk cards, they're probably going to say the 82 All-Star cards when they think about um, his most famous card is what I'd say. But it's been nice that the Funker has been integrated with these Panini sets as of late. So we've seen a lot of fun Terry Funk cards, which probably is now is not the best time to buy those cards. But he did have a gold prism in 2023 prism, which is a card that was available um, not too long ago. But it, yeah, it's just saddened by the loss. It's part of wrestling, but to lose legends is uh, never easy. Um, and then maybe the most shocking loss right after that was the loss of uh, Wyndham Rotunda, better known as Bray Wyatt. And this one, I think, kind of shook everybody because it was out of nowhere. No one was expecting it. When I got really heavy back into wrestling around 2014, 2015, Bray Wyatt's character was one that certainly sucked me in. Unique, one of a kind. I That era, I traveled to a lot of pay-per-views. Bray Wyatt was at the top of many of those pay-per-views. So I was fortunate to see him live and wrestle in many occasions. Still trying to wrap my head around his loss because he's 36 years old, unexpected. But just as a as a wrestling fan, I just wanted to make sure I gave a little moment for those two uh, losses and just their families and everything else. Um, you know, Bray Wyatt, thinking about his card, I think th- his best card in my opinion, would be his 2014 Topps Chrome, um, you know, gold, super fractor, any of the low parallels, but him sitting on the rocker in that photo really defines that character um, to me. So um, saddened by their losses, certainly, but just wanted to make sure I gave a little moment to pay homage to those two legends. This past week in the hobby, uh, we saw a lot of floating heads on our Instagram feeds, a lot of hot takes. We saw the whole dispute regarding the NFLPA and the Panini split and the lawsuits and all of this. I don't really have an opinion on it. I don't. I Things are happening. Things are getting sorted out. I don't. Many people are covering it. I'm not going to cover it on this show. I would imagine most of you took notice and you've gathered all the information you need to get from it. At this point, we will see what happens, um, but I'm not going to forecast, predict, and talk about something that I have absolutely no idea about. I think it's just another signal that Fanatics is here and they're making moves. I want to shout out to PSA and John Gold specifically, who wrote the article but was very... Uh, fortunate to get featured in their um, latest magazine where I got to talk about a passion of mine, and that is my Colts quarterback collecting. So got the, uh, Peyton Manning is on the cover. Have you ever heard of this guy? He's on the cover of the magazine. Um, So I got a chance to talk a little bit about Manning, Luck, and then the Anthony Richardson of it all. So that was fun. Um, Definitely an honor to get an opportunity to talk about something that I'm so passionate about um, and really appreciate that team collectors and PSA, and they've just always been 
um, so nice to me and really enjoy all the interactions I've had with the people over there. So if you haven't already, check out the latest edition. It's kind of wild because that feature dropped and then also the four it was the four year anniversary of the Andrew Luck uh sudden retirement, which was a game that I was at and almost don't want to relive, but I've gotten uh okay with it at this point. Um and then also the same week that I complete the Andrew Luck Gold Prism run. So it was just kind of wild how everything lines up. But I don't know. I am definitely ready for football. I'm sure all of you are ready for football. It is here almost. Everyone's doing their fantasy drafts. Everyone's getting their teams, getting the depth charts, the cuts, all that stuff. But I'm just ready to go. I'm so excited for this season. Hopefully you're excited too. I am also preparing for, as I record this, I'm going to carve it out, put it on the family calendar, watching all in. AEW live from Wembley Stadium, monster event. It'll, the dust will have settled on the other side by the time this goes live. But then also, I am going to all out in Chicago. So I'm leaving this next weekend to go see the follow-up show. Excited to get in front of an audience and see professional wrestling live. Also, AEW and Upper Deck are supposedly dropping Metal Universe on August 30th. So... I don't know. Haven't had a ton to say and a lot of excitement around the Upper Deck AEW relationship in terms of what has been produced so far, but I'm always keeping an optimistic mind. In Metal Universe, you're talking PMGs, you're talking first year, something that I certainly will be paying attention to. So excited for more wrestling cards in the mix. I want to thank my man, Joe JJJ Gambino, who stopped by the damn podcast to have a collector conversation this past week. You know, some things that I picked up from him were just like the management of the various lanes that we go down as collectors and how to navigate that. He also talked about just money management, um, prioritizing our hobby funds for what's available and just like the power behind that. And I don't know, I, I what I liked a lot about what he had to talk about was just like never trying to act like you're the smartest person in the room and always having this learner's mindset. I feel like the more that we can do that in the hobby, the in coming from a place of abundance, typically the better things happen and come our way. I'm excited for this conversation that we'll be having this week, a little preview here going to be joined by Marino Collector. So if you are a football card collector, you certainly know Marino Collector. I'm a big fan of people who are all in. Um, I'm not sure anyone is is all in in the hobby as Marino Collector, super passionate. And what I want to talk about with him is that when you go all in on a specific player, inevitably there's a side effect and that side effect is centered around the knowledge that you gain from all the sets, products, and parallels from all the cards you have as being a super collector. So I am not sure if Tim identifies as a super collector or not, but we will certainly find out. So excited to share that conversation with you on Friday. One thing that I'm trying to dig up, I am... I'm recording this a day early than I normally 
normally am. And so I'm kind of doing this a little unorthodox and a little on the fly. But one thing that I wanted to talk about, I'm trying to get the data going as I'm ripping through this on my phone while I'm trying to record this damn podcast is this Justin Jefferson sale. If you did not see this, the 2020 Prism Justin Jefferson Black Finite one of one PSA nine sold this past week, sold for $57,000. I think there was a big uproar, ripple effect, a lot of narratives, a lot of conversations being pushed around. And the one I've had some time to think about this. I think uh, the player, so Justin Jefferson certainly has the opportunity to be the best receiver in the NFL for the next decade. Um, I would say that the black finite one of one is his best card or my favorite card of his, you know, nearly 60 K is a hefty price tag, especially if you analyze the market of wide receivers historically. Um, Just think about the conversation with Mikey and the hobby. Okay. So we talked about the value that he, that he had to give up in order to get the 1998 Randy Moss Essential Credentials Futures at a six card at the National. And, you know, he gave up, I think, 50K in value with cash and trade. So you're saying, you're saying, okay, Randy Moss, who it's hard to put him ahead of Jerry Rice in terms of greatest ever, but not too far behind him. You've got Randy Moss, one of the greatest football players ever to play. You've got a card. I know one's a one of one and one's out of six. But I would say that that Randy Moss card, in my opinion, that Mikey and the Hobby has, is one of the most uh, important football cards of this era. And we're seeing then is a a player that is elite, like Justin Jefferson, who is younger in his best card sell for more than that card. And I've had a lot of time to think about this. And I don't know, like my take on this situation is that they're different games. They're different lanes. They're whole different things and audiences that are happening where I don't know who bought the card and maybe we'll find out who bought the Jefferson card. But my impression in many of these cases when we see these sales is that the people who are buying this card aren't likely the ones who it's going to be in their forever home. And maybe this Jefferson card is, and that's super cool if it is. But a lot of the times the game is you know, continue to if see if we can get that card sold and I, and the person who bought it can make a little money on the side. Whereas you look at a sale like Mikey and the Hobbies and that guy has no, there was nothing I heard from him that said, I'm looking to sell this tomorrow. And so I think that's what happens when we try to compare modern era sales of like ultra modern cards to historical sales of, you know, maybe modern cards or 90s cards it's just really hard to compare and contrast it's just based on the mentality and mindset of the people that are trying to buy them and so i think it gets so difficult when we try to box everything in and have these conversations and say this is so ridiculous that this sold for so much look at these jerry rice cards they've never sold for that much and it's just it's really hard to compare and contrast and i don't care like i don't care how much cards sell for or whatever Um, But I just think it's interesting to see all of the conversations that happen as a result of the big sales. And it's something that I'm always going to be paying attention to. And I guess my final statement on this is like that I'm looking at it right now because I found it on my phone. But that Justin Jefferson card is 
fucking awesome. Like that card rules. Like the value behind it, what it's really worth, what whatever. Like I don't know, nor do I care. All I know is that's a really cool sports card. And I think, and I know it sold before and it was, you know, a percentage of what the, it went for then. And I think that's the name of the game. Like one card sold on eBay and then the other card sold at a major auction house. And then you talk in the marketing and you talk all this. There's a lot of different elements that are happening when these sales go down. And again, it's like not comparing apples to apples, but that card rules. And I just wanted to say that and make sure I spent a little time on that. And what I want to do is just like kind of off the cuff impromptu talk about this topic and then we're going to close this one out. But I get a lot of playback, which is great and messages on things that I've said or say. And when I get the playback on them, I know those are the things that are resonating with you, the listener of the show. And one of my favorite catchphrases that I like to say around here, and you've probably heard it if you're a longtime listener, but I like to say, because I believe this, is we are the CEOs of our PC. So if you've listened to this show for a long time, that is likely something you've heard me say. If I, if I put a banner up in your city and was promoting the Stacking Slabs podcast, that would likely be a headline on that billboard. And I'm not sure I've gotten more playback from a statement that I've said more over the years than that one. So to me, it just feels like a good time to go a little bit deeper and talk about what I mean specifically when I say we are the CEOs of RPC. So thinking about this, I decided to approach it from the lens of when, I, when we're trying to explain this and I'm trying to um, add some layers behind that statement is... Okay, so what are like the core responsibilities and what are the things that chief executive officers in business are responsible for? So what I did was my due diligence and tried to understand, okay, based on my own research and information, what are some things that we can list out that are core responsibilities of CEOs? And again, it's not a one size fits all approach, but like to me, this was like, threads that I saw around and was like, okay, here I can put these things into a bucket and we can talk about them. So there were seven things that I've listed. And what I want to do here is list the seven things that I believe CEOs are responsible for. Then I'm going to break those down and talk about them from the hobby perspective. And then we're going to get the hell out of here, right? You've got another podcast to listen to. You've got something else to do, but you're spending time here listening to the Stacking Slabs podcast. So I do appreciate that. By the way, follow me across all those channel social channels at Stacking Slabs. And if you're not already, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying this podcast. But the things that I want to list here are number one, the CEOs are responsible for developing objectives and direction for the, their companies. Then you've got, they implement plans. You've got the budgeting and the forecasting of it all. You've got the public relations of it all. You've got communicating with stakeholders, most specifically the board of directors. You've got tracking company performance. And maybe the most important is establishing a working culture. So let's break these down from a hobby perspective. So when I say we are the CEOs of our PCs, and if we're using these seven things, number one, develop strategic objectives and direction. So to me, this is like, what you want your collection to look like and how you're going to get there. That's what we should be thinking about. If we don't be, if we're not thinking about there, we're wondering this aimlessly and we're probably end up buying cards that we 
aren't happy about. So to me, if we're being the CEO of our PC, we need to understand what are our goals. And once we understand individually what are our goals with our PC, we need to understand what are our strategies to help us get there. A lot of us, a lot of us let the hobby come to us, which is fine. However, when we're the CEOs, we are setting the damn agenda. You know what I'm saying? You can set the damn agenda for your collection. You got to have the goals and you got to set up the strategies. And it's talking with other collectors. It's finding out who are the eyes and ears of the show and leveraging those relationships in your day-to-day. We start with the cards that we want as the goal and we reverse engineer our way to get there. So if you're doing that shit, you're the CEO of your PC. Okay, so let's talk about implementing proposed plans. So uh, example for me, I had this vision three years ago, one year removed from the Andrew Luck sudden retirement to say, you know what? I love the gold prisms. I love Andrew Luck. I'm going to get all of the Andrew Luck gold prisms. So that was a proposed plan I had. And so it was my job as the CEO of my PC to, to implement and execute that. One-to-one communication with someone who was going at to shows became very, very important. So if there are major shows going on, I am constantly hitting up people who are going to those shows to make sure they can look out for cards that I want. And if I was doing the same, I'd expect them to ask me that too. And I do that because I'm trying to be the CEO of my damn PC. And in order to do that, you leverage your stakeholders externally in market to get this shit done, okay? So it's having discipline with your save searches. That's not letting the hobby come at you. That's being very strategic. You've got discipline. Here are, you got to clean that up too. Go clean up your save searches. I promise you right now, there are save searches in there that are you're wasting time thumbing through that you never click on. Go clean those up. And because you might end up and you might click on them and buy something you don't want. We go off course. It's part of the hobby, but who doesn't? Budgeting and forecasting. I go back to this conversation I had with, with Joe last week. You got to know how to operate within your means. This means creating a system. Okay, so for me, I'm the CEO of my PC, okay? But I don't. I have to think about external factors in my life or the most important things in my life. I just bought a new house. So we just upgraded our house within the past year. And this house is more expensive than our last house. And it changed everything. But I had to adapt and evolve the way I treated and operated the hobby based on my new budgeting in my and then it allowed me to help forecast. So, but I've been able to buy at a rate that I want to still because I created a system to help me do that. And that can that system involves consignment. That system that system involves grading and deciding what cards that I'm going to sell to help help fund my next purchase. But I do that because things in my life like buying a new house, having a second child are happening around me. And if I don't be mindful of the budgeting and the forecasting of it all, I'm not going to enjoy the hobby as much as I should. The public relations component, this is posting your cards. This is treating people well. This is treating Instagram like a community. I did not ask to be featured in the PSA magazine, but the fact that I get up on here, I have a damn show where I talk about the Colts and how much I love my collection post my damn cards, I had people reach out to me and say, you know what, we're featuring Peyton Manning. Let's talk to you about this. That is the public relations of it all. It doesn't necessarily mean 
and you need to be featured in something. But if you're being the CEO of the PC, you need to be present and active in promoting what you like and what you're passionate about, because that's when you're the magnet and that's when cards start coming to you. How about communicating with the board of directors? This is your internal stakeholders, i.e. likely your spouse. Also, your external stakeholders, i.e. your buddies who collect the same shit as you. They're collectors. This is like being open and communicating to them because you don't want to bid, bid, bid each other up. And that's really important. But also on the home front, it's like you need to be on the same page with the way you operate with sports cards with your family, right? How are you spending money? Um, what are those expectations? And making sure that you're all on the same page is probably the most important thing of it all. Tracking your company performance. You've got the gut feel. It just feels good to buy it, which is fine. I operate that way a lot. But then you've got tools like Card Ladder where you can track what you're buying and the performance of it all. I just think it's really good to have a pulse on what you're spending, how you're spending it. And everyone's got a new different system. It could be a spreadsheet. It could be, it doesn't matter. But just making sure that that is in your arsenal. And then finally, establishing culture. Cards are not stressful for me. They are my escape. I don't care about influencers. I don't care about hobby drama. I post my cards and I engage in the community. Posting my cards, engaging with the people that I want to helps establish the culture for me as a participant in the hobby and most specifically the CEO of my PC. The hobby is fun. I don't give a shit about all this bad stuff. I don't want to be bogged down by all the stuff that stresses people out. I've got a little bit of time in my day that I spend in the hobby. And my goal there as a CEO of my PC is to maximize the value and be freaking happy along the way. How are you being the CEO of your PC? Does this resonate with you? I'd love to hear how you're doing it. Thank you so much for listening to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. We'll be back on Friday with a conversation with Marino Collector. Take care. 